and we protecting the nest. We protecting the nest. Pelicans up bigs right down to the sec. And we protecting the nest. We protecting the nest. Nola LBJ and Dotson time to get them in check. And we protecting the nest. We protecting the nest. Pelicans up bigs right down to the sec. And we protecting the nest. We protecting the nest. Nola LBJ and Dotson time to get them in check. Let's go. Hey Pelicans fans, welcome back to the Protecting Us podcast. We finally got some games to talk about. We got a new guest, welcome to the, to the nest, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about. So we got Mr. Louis Prejean, he's up there in north central Louisiana, but he's still part of the Pelicans nest. Introduce yourself, man, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? Louis here. So it's, all, it's hard to hold it down for you No know, One Down Nation or Pelicans Nation, whatever the fan base wants to call it from here in Lafayette, but I've been able to make it out to some Pelicans games. This year I covered, I think, Anthony Davis's return, Dallas, the Dallas game, uh, the Miami Heat game right before everything got shut down. That was one of the final times media got to go into the locker room. But uh, other than that, covered the Pelicans here in Lafayette and LSU Saints. I just produced a, morning, a couple morning shows and I got a new show coming up at 1037 the game so it's all exciting i'm excited to be on the podcast too yeah i've seen you've been moving around you've got your own podcast you're on a couple of the radio stations up there and just from your experience has the pelicans i guess got more of a following in lafayette are they starting to grow outside of the the shadow of the smoothie king center so to speak maybe some more zion jerseys or pelican stickers on the back of the cars have you noticed the pelicans branding being more prevalent in, in lafayette Oh, yeah, people got way more excited when Zion was drafted. Just the lottery, from lottery night, people got excited about Zion. And no one really cared about the Pelicans in Lafayette, really, when Anthony Davis was here because he had all that drama in the final year. People don't really pay attention to basketball all that much in Lafayette. But I'm, that, that's what I give myself the duty of whenever I'm on air, whenever I'm on a podcast, whenever I'm just doing something. I'm trying to make people care about the Pelicans and about basketball because I care so much about the NBA and the Pelicans. So I think that's what my mindset is. But seeing everyone really approach this team ever since Zion is encouraging because I think this team is very exciting uh, moving forward. Right, and a lot of people have had – you know, we, a lot of people wanted to see basketball back. There's been some negative Nancys that just don't want to see sports back at all for safety precautions. And I, I get where they're coming from. Maybe, right. you know, that's kind of like the mom that's a little too overprotective on the field. But it was nice to have scrimmage games, exhibition games back. Uh, what's your argument for there? Are you ready to see maybe the, the games actually matter? Do you want to see more of a sample size before they determine the playoff team? Or are you happy with the way this Orlando bubble is shaping up? I think it's the perfect setup. Maybe three scrimmages might be too much. You could probably go two scrimmages and call it a day because whenever you talk about what you want to see out of a scrimmage, you want to see health. You don't want to see anybody get injured. I know the Pacers are playing the Blazers right now, and my first thought was, please don't let Oladipo get hurt. We don't even know if he's playing in the season restart, but I don't want Oladipo to get hurt, just as the Pelicans, or I didn't want them to get hurt. So maybe three scrimmages is too much, but two scrimmages is fine. I'll take whatever I can get at this point. I was tweeting about the scrimmages like 11 days out. 
from them. And ever since they dropped the schedule, I was looking forward to the scrimmages. But so far, I think the format is pretty much what you want it to be. And I think the players, you're seeing the starters kind of go hard. Like, they're giving effort. You see Kendrick Williams last night out there diving on the floor. Drew Holiday's playing defense like you normally would see him in in a regular season or postseason game. I think these players want to play the scrimmages game. So regardless, if we think it's a good idea for the scrimmages to be played, I think the guys want these scrimmages before they play the games that matter. Right. I, I definitely have heard from a couple players that these scrimmages will help them knock off the rust, but the Pelicans didn't look too rusty last night. Besides for a couple missed rotations on defense, and some of that was just Jackson Hayes being young, not really a team problem. You know, uh, I mean, I don't want to be too hard on Jackson Hayes. I know a lot of people thought he looked great last night, but there's still some things I want to see, especially since he's talked about his defensive improvement and how much he worked on that during this hiatus. There was a couple of those breakdowns, but Again, it's their first game back. They were going to lose focus, maybe get a little tired, knocking the rust off. I think the three games will help uh, more than two, especially when that third game comes and they add the extra minutes. Uh, Hopefully, Zion will be back for that. I'm still skeptical that he makes it back before, say, the the Pelicans play the Clippers. But we're still waiting on an update. Do you want to give us your thoughts on just what do you think they should do with Zion at this point? and how maybe it's been perceived that there hasn't been that many updates. We really don't know. First things first, Zion's family life is Zion's family life. And if the Pelicans tell me that he's gone for a family matter, then I won't investigate any further into it. I won't say, okay, maybe it's an injury. I know like some people have speculated. I think the Pelicans want to keep it quiet because they want to respect Zion's privacy. And I think that um, with Zion's update or lack of updates – the wording, we're always going to read into this wording because it's only like four sentences we get at a time. And the one sentence I always focus on, and especially in that last statement, was per NBA protocol, uh, his timetable for return or quarantine will be determined when he returns. So throw away any protocol that you, you thought. If he was gone for more than a week, that he was going to quarantine for 10 to 14 days, now actually throw that out the window because he could just not quarantine for – four days he could quarantine for two days whenever he comes back regardless if it's been over a week say he misses say he comes back monday right they have a game on thursday he comes back monday he only quarantines for two days what if he's ready for the opener then or if he misses the jazz game and plays the clippers game uh we're always going to look deeper into the statements and the updates the lack of updates because that's our job but we gotta and then I think we have to respect his privacy, but it's also we're always going to speculate because of the lack of updates. Yeah, and I think the Pelicans are justified. One, I mean, I've been at Forbes for a year now. My most read article mentioned Zion Williamson's privacy in the headline, but everybody wanted to read it. I think the dichotomy and there's a little bit of irony in that. You know, but they, they barely released, what, one quote from Griffin and a statement. And people run wild with it. Shams wrote an article that was – it led with cramps. You had the Zion Hurt conspiracy theories. You've got the conspiracy theories that they only put the Pelicans in because of Zion. And now because the quarantine protocols are what they are, and we really are in the dark somewhat in how how long he would have to sit in his hotel room in quarantine, that if he comes back sooner than four days, the conspiracy theories are going to even – they're just going to expound upon each other. And the Pelicans talking 
gives people more talking points and data points to run wild and read between the lines. So I think that was a lot of why they stayed quiet for a week is they put out two sentences, really. And the narrative just got out of control immediately. So why would you continue to feed the beast that is really hyping the team in a negative way with all the conspiracy theories? Them being quiet it was a smart move to me. It, would you agree with that? Well, it's hard for the Pelicans because if you give no, no update at all, then the conspiracy theories are run wild. But hearing from another side is like, well, where are the, where are the updates? You should know what is happening with your star player. So I get it from the PR people that they're in a tough position. Like, okay, um, do we give updates? Do we not give updates? If we don't give updates, there's conspiracy theories. I, I think it's so funny that this always happens, and it's to be expected, and we just got it like an hour ago with Shams where the NBA updated the protocols that say if a player leaves for medical treatment, then he can quarantine for four days or up to none. So – if he leaves for medical treatment, but no one's reading into the wording and saying, and they're all saying There's the Zion rule. That's the Zion rule. When he comes back, he won't have to quarantine at all if he gets tested regularly. Well, it says medical treatment. I actually, you know, I'm not mad at a good conspiracy theory. I say bring it, but you know, it's, I think the Pelicans are just in a tough spot where you don't give an update or you don't give an or you do you give an update, then people are just going to run with it. They just latch on to the Zion conspiracies. And I, I just think it's funny at this point. Right. And it's been a tumultuous year for Zion. If you look at just what he's had to deal with from the draft and all of the draft conspiracies, because, you know, the Pelicans and Davis and New York and L.A. was right there and everybody could have had him. But he winds up in New Orleans. And that, that's a favor from the NBA through the draft. That's the conspiracy theory. Then you get all the conspiracy theories with him and his lawsuits and uh, all of the, I guess, vagueness in the media reports, maybe not from the team, but the media reports when Zion was initially injured. So when he left the bubble and Shams decided to mention cramps, I mean, one of the conspiracy theories to jump with was the last time Zion had anything mentioned with cramps or injury, he wasn't gone for 11 days. He was gone for 11 weeks, and that was most of the season. And I think that 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 anxiety is kind of playing into the fan base and that's one of the negative aspects to all the positivity that zion brings to the team uh if you know what i mean oh i know what you mean the cramp story oh man i told people not to pay any attention to it it's just it's when Woj got suspended and then you get the shams cramp story where you're like well maybe we need Woj back but then it's just it's poor reporting because what's the cramp story got to deal with it like why is the cramps leading off your story for the first two paragraphs when you I, I, I get his I get I get why he did it. It's news, it did happen, but he knows what he's going to get out of it too. And I, I love Shams. I love Shams reporting. I love Rose's reporting. But you know, when you mention cramps and Zion and injury, you are always fueling the conspiracy at that point. Um, uh, and look, the conspiracy thing, Lakers and Knicks are on the lottery right there. They get three and four. Memphis and New Orleans gets one and two. You think that NBA, if they wanted to be really relevant, they would have given the Lakers and Knicks that one and two spot? Come on, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, besides, the only thing they could do past that would be buy James Dolan out and give the Knicks to an actual owner that cared. But, <laughs> I mean, we can't go that far into it. Uh, but, yeah, looking at, at Zion again, he, he's going to change the team when he comes back into it. It's something I think the team's been used to. And that was that's another reason to to stay quiet. They've dealt with this situation before, so there was no need to rehash the process 
they've already been through. The data points are there if people want to go back and look at it. But the team, again, you want to give privacy to the family and you're going to kind of defer to to your superstar. There's no doubt about it that the NBA is a star-driven league and the Pelicans have to give the right narrative around their stars. And I mean, I wrote it. I think this is just, this isn't preferential treatment to Zion. This is truly how Gail Benson wants her operation to run and the organization to treat the players. And it goes back to the Hornets days. It goes back to, you know, doing right by Chris Paul when there wasn't really an owner. And the Bensons come in and bought it. They said, we, I think it really started at that moment. They said, we need to make sure that this organization may not ever be the Lakers, but the players can feel loved here. And that, that first, the first real test was, really, you know, Drew Holiday's family situation that is well documented. And I don't think we need to talk about it too much just for fear of saying the wrong thing and it being taken the wrong way. When I, everybody loves Drew in the city. Uh, we all wanted his family to come out of that on the, just the best they could. And I think they did that. They made the best of a bad situation. This whole year with Zion in the Pelicans front office has been just chaotic since the day they knew they were going to draft him. And that did not get better as soon as he got injured and the lawsuits hit. And there's been all this other hubbub around him. That This has been a big test of the organization again. And I think the organization has passed it. And that will bode well for re-signing all the players that need you know, extensions or free agents and, and going into the future. Maybe not going to help in Orlando because that's such just eight games, but Orlando does provide an opportunity for this team to, to, I guess, really intensify their team building and their chemistry. And with Zion going and coming, that, that, that'll make them stronger. You know, what doesn't break you will make you stronger. And this team didn't break during a 13 game losing streak. And I think getting Zion back, it, it'll make him feel great. It'll make the team feel, I guess, lifted. And th- that's what you want to see out of a young core that hopefully, I think you would agree, you want to keep them together. Keep B.I., keep Hart, keep Lonzo, keep Drew. I mean, are you are you with that? I'm totally with keeping Drew. I know people wanted to trade Drew. I want to keep that core as much as possible. Obviously, you'll have pieces that'll come and go. I mean, Jaleel Okafor, Etuan Moore, even though I love Etuan Moore, he might be out the door. Frank Jackson. I want to keep that core, though, like you mentioned, together because that's what you can move forward with. And Drew Holiday is a key part to the team because if you can make it work with a Drew Holiday on your team – Those guys are hard to come by. Those two-way kind of players are hard to come by, regardless if Drew's a slow starter or not. I want to keep that young core together. What people don't – I don't think people talk about enough is just the overall roster of the Pelicans has a a bunch of solid to good to potentially great NBA players on it. There's not a lot of – there's not like three, four guys that are bad NBA players. They're all solid to good NBA guys. So – when you take Zion out of the roster, say Zion is missing games, that core that you mentioned is still there with Lonzo. Then you have uh, Drew Holiday. You have Derek Favors is there. You have Brandon Ingram's there. You have veterans like J.J. Redick and uh, Etuan Moore. The, the roster is very solid to where they can keep their head above water and even thrive. They were, what, 11-5 and five in the 16 games leading up, or 12-4 and four in the 16 games before Zion returned. So they were actually meshing well together. The roster is actually pretty solid. So if you can just maintain that core of it, even if Zion's gone for a period of time, then the Pelicans can find themselves in a really good position. Yeah, uh, total agreement there. But let's look at the small sample size that we got last night. Uh, 
Gentry said he wanted to give Jackson Hazen to kill Alexander Walker a lot of run, and I believe they were the top two minutes getters on the court last night. Uh, what did you see out of them? I've already talked a little bit about Jackson. I'm not that big high and high on the kill, but what did you see out of them that was maybe encouraging for them being a, a part of the championship core going forward? Okay, what's encouraging? This is your toughest question. What's encouraging about Nikhil Alexander-Walker's performance last night? Hmm, he thrived in garbage time, I guess. Uh, there's not much you can take away from Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I mean, he forces a lot of things. He has a lot of great ideas. When he makes a pass, I'm like, ooh, that's a good idea. But then it's not well executed, and then he'll show up whenever the Pelicans are up 20, and he does some things after he had a very poor start. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, what's encouraging about him is, yeah, he was the, you know, tied for the most points scored uh, for the Pelicans in that game. I think what's encouraging to him is he can do some of the things that he wants to do. It's just like sometimes I feel he's too sloppy or he's just not executing. He, he can do all these things. He's very creative. He's shifty. Uh, he can get to the basket. He can shoot. It's just it doesn't all click together at the same time. What's encouraging is that you do see those sparks where you're like, ah, if he could just, I know he's young and he's a rookie and it's been a weird season, but if he could just kind of nail it all together, it'd be great. For Jackson Hayes, he always looks like a freshly born deer. Like on defense, I would have loved to see him come back from the NBA restart and this NBA restart and we only got one scrimmage. I would have loved to see some fundamentals out of him some boxing out, which he doesn't do. He just rebounds in space a lot. Um, I would have loved to see him go straight up when he, whenever he's trying to block a shot. I feel like he goes for a lot of highlights, especially on defense and when he's ever, whenever he's trying to poster somebody. But Jackson Hayes, I want him to just be solid on defense, like put himself in the right positions, do the fundamentals, and just be that role player. You don't have to shine all the time for Jackson Hayes. And I feel like... For him, it's just about fundamentals. Right. When I look at Nikhil, I see somebody that's smart. He he knows what's possible within the game and within the offense. You just don't know if it's possible within his skill set and talent set right now that it, it translates to the offense in a way that, that helps the team make a playoff push and maybe push the Lakers in a, a potential playoff series. I don't think you could risk Nikhil unless you got up 20 in like a Memphis if you play them in the first game. You can't risk him making a couple mistakes and letting that team back in it in that situation. It's perfect to let him make those mistakes in November and January, you know, the dregs of the regular season. But the Orlando bubble is going to be a microcosm, I think, that's going to shine a lot of weakness, uh, you know, show the weaknesses of some players just because they're going to try and do so much. And again, the rust, there's such a hiatus. It's basketball, but it's not going to be the most refined basketball. And with that being said, and Nikhil being so raw, unless you're a fine player that really knows the fundamentals and how to stay within your game, there's going to be times that, that you look exposed and maybe you know it looks worse than it is, but that's going to be what happens. Yeah, I think what's tough for the Pelicans is that they don't have the time. Everything's so accelerated. You have, the eight, you have two more scrimmages, but then you have eight regular season games, and you have to put yourself in a position for that playing tournament. You don't have time to have Nikhil Alexander-Walker figure it out. You don't have time for Jackson Hayes to develop into this prime Roy Hibbert or whoever you want him to be. Like You don't have that luxury of time for them to figure it out. So with the scrimmages, 
I want to see who can play. Because right now, based off that first scrimmage, I'm not playing Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I'm not playing Frank Jackson, and I'm not playing Kendrick Williams. I love Kendrick Williams. I love his hustle. Maybe I'm throwing him out there for energy, but maybe I'm throwing a lineup of Jackson Hayes and Kendrick Williams in the same lineup just to provide a spark if the team gets off to a slow start. But I've got to find the guys that I want to play because the Pelicans have no time to waste. Right, and I don't think they need to waste the time on development either. I think they really need to push for a playoff spot. The team has said that that's what they'll do, and... You know, we're going into the last 10 minutes here. It, it's the Pelicans. It reverts back to Zion. The only goals in Orlando is to keep pace with Memphis so you stay within four games and you get the playing opportunity. But you also have to be one game better than Portland, uh, if I'm correct, because of the winning percentage. They played the one extra game before before COVID hiatus. So if you get there, if you can really push for that playoff, Zion only played 19 games. You get eight play-in games. Get him here, get him quarantined, or get him through the protocols, through the you know conspiracy Zion rule. But get him on the court for those eight games. Then the Pelicans have to beat Memphis twice. We're up to 10 games. Let's say, just for the sake of argument, this is a Pelicans podcast and we want to be biased, the Pelicans push the Lakers to a seventh game. We don't know if they win or lose. We just want to see a seventh game. But now we're up to 17 games for Zion. We've almost doubled the data points for the team and how they can evaluate this roster, evaluate Zion. And I think doubling the, the, the data points in regular season games played by Zion is probably one of the most important priorities for this team in Orlando besides staying healthy. Exactly. So you're not going to spend time seeing, all right, can Frank Jackson play 20 minutes in this game? Uh, can Nikhil Alexander-Walker kind of run some point for us? Um, look, look, if Josh Hart's having a bad game, okay, maybe we'll just have to play him less. Where they really have to just put themselves in the best position to where they can get to that point of getting the most out of Zion, progressing in the season and progressing towards the postseason to double that that those data points that you talked about. So you've got to play the lineups and play the and have a rotation that really bodes well for you because. What I'm always concerned about whenever the New Orleans Pelicans do some kind of NBA restart or the season openers, like I mentioned, you have a bunch of guys that are solid to good on your roster. Now it's about managing those minutes and managing those rotations. That's what we saw at the beginning of the season where it was a little troubling because Gentry was trying to figure out he's got a whole new roster, a roster overhaul, and he's got to figure out who works together and who doesn't. All right, well, you don't have – again, you don't have – time to get off to like a 6-22-esque and 22-esque start to the season and all right, okay, well now we figure out the lineups, now's the time. So I'm, I, I am a little concerned about when you try to play Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Frank Jackson, Kendrick Williams, like a Jolo Okafor, uh, who's, who's Jackson Hayes, like who's getting those minutes. We can't waste time on that. These two scrimmages games, that's why they kind of feel more important to me because I'm always worried about what rotations are we going to have whenever the eight regular season games kick in? Uh, you really have to nail down who's going to put you in the best position to win, and that will lead you into seeing more of Zion, which I think everyone wants. Yeah, everybody wants to see Zion. Uh, conspiracy theory or not, he's there. The team's there. We want to see Zion with the team. Obviously, reverting back to it, we want to see his family do well. But – Switching up, looking at Gentry's offense to start and the the rotations you're talking about, 
in the preseason, it was all get Zion going downhill from the top of the key. They had you know, uh, the Ringer did an article saying Zion was basically a running back playing basketball. They showed all these plays, and then when he come back during the regular season, Zion runs the low block, bully people, made dunk, and that was it. The offense. I don't know if that's an evolution or a de-evolution in the way that the offense is played, especially in the modern game. But I don't think we're anywhere near the final version of what this offense needs to be. And you can't waste time giving players that, that, that can't lead the team. You can't give them minutes. Maybe you can give them 20 minutes in an exhibition game, but you can't give them more than two or three minutes at a time in an actual regular season game if you want to really compete for that playoff spot so you can play the Lakers. And I do understand if Nikhil Alexander-Walker and these younger guys get more minutes, or the guys you haven't seen much of, like Sedarius, uh, Thornwell, you don't get, you'll get to see more of these guys in the scrimmages because the veterans will need a rest. Like I expect JJ Redick to rest at least one of the scrimmage games. Drew Holiday maybe rest one of the scrimmage games. Even though I would like to see Drew Holiday play all three scrimmage games because he's typically a slow starter. And I would like him to just ramp up in the three scrimmages and go into the seeding games. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to figure out with Zion because when he comes back, say he misses like the first two games, which is what I totally expect. I expect him to miss the Jazz game and I expect him to miss the Clippers game. But whenever he comes back, who are you playing with him? Is it Derek Favors? Is it Nicola Melli at a time? Like, I know people love the Melli Zion because you can go in, inside out with Melly and Zion, but man, the, the defense, and I think the offense does derive th- uh, a little bit more and produce a little bit more when Derek Favors is on the court with Zion. I really like Favors and Zion together. So, look, the lineups and everything that you, you mentioned, I, I do expect these younger guys to get more run time in the scrimmage games uh, just to give veteran guys some rest, but man, when Zion comes back in those first after those first two games, or say he, he gets the season opener, I want that favors Zion lineup because it gives you more rebounding, which the Pelicans desperately need uh, because they're not getting that much out of their bigs. The best rebounder in your team is Josh Hart. So I, I think they should just run out the favors Zion lineup. There's a lot to figure out with the lineups, uh, but I, I think Gentry can do it because there's been a sample size before the restart happened uh, four and a half months ago. Yeah, I, I've watched the game from last night, the scrimmage game, two and a half times now. I've watched it all the way through twice, and then just skimmed it while I was trying to to bang out an article based on the you know the streaming stats that the team sent out earlier today. But I seen Melly and Ingram in seven or eight successful pick and rolls. There was a couple shots that didn't fall, but it looks like Melly and Ingram are developing a chemistry the same way that. You know, Melly is not the regular rookie. He's got some veteran savvy to him. He's finally learning how to use it. And I think he's going to be our X factor in Orlando just because of how he's learning to operate with Ingram and Zion and Drew. And it, it's finally getting there. I, I, that was one of the most encouraging things for me last night. What's great about Melly is he's a switch of pace because if you go from a Zion to Favors lineup from Zion to Melly, well, Melly's developing more chemistry with Ingram and Lonzo because I think. Ingram and Lonzo would like to pass more to Melly because they can depend on him to make a shot rather than favors if you're in a half court or if you're in transition. I think Ingram and Lonzo would love to pass more to Melly than they would favors on offense. They would rather have favors on defense, uh, don't get me wrong, but you're talking about a gentry system that they love to shoot 
They love to score. So you have Melly out there. It just gives you a, such a different pace to the team that I think the players enjoy because they can just run free. And if you have a guy like Melly who you can depend on making shots and does have more of a veteran savvy than your typical rookie does, then yeah, Melly could definitely be a next factor. Right, and, and again, looking at another veteran, J.J. looked in playoff form last night. He did not look rusty uh, at all. But that's how a veteran knows how to prepare versus how the rookies know how to prepare. And, and that's, one and again, another dichotomy of this team. Orlando's going to require depth, but everybody wanted Gentry to shorten his rotation sooner earlier this season. Everybody loves our young core, but the veteran savvy and experience on how to prepare yourself for a situation like this, which, again, no, no veteran's ever prepared for, but having them time in the league has given them, I guess, more experience and they're more mature. This team's right in the middle of all that, but then you throw our best five out and it looks like we're the best team in the league going by all these advanced stats. How Seeing how Gentry balances that will be interesting. That, that'll earn him his paycheck. And But getting to the last two questions, the first one being, do you want to see Gentry back next year? It still seems to be 50-50 in the city. Because every, whenever you mention Gentry as a coach, they always bring him up as a person first, right? And that's what we should do. We should look at Gentry as the person and not necessarily the coach. So Gentry as the person is great. We love Gentry. Uh, but when it comes down to coach and his coaching record, it, he doesn't have the best resume. He's a 500 coach and maybe below 500 if you look at his career record. Um, do I want Zion loves him? I believe there's a quote. I don't. You can correct me on it. Like Zion said, uh, he only wants Gentry as his coach for the rest of his life, or something like that. I, I don't know if you did. You hear that? Uh, I've heard I something. Making that up. I've heard something like that. I would have to look up the direct quote and see exactly how it was. You know, in the frame of reference it was used in. But I could see Zion saying that. But that could be just youthful exuberance. You know, it's his first professional job it's his first coach it's probably the best coach he's ever had i mean even though he he served a a semester under coach k he's actually getting a lot of time under gentry the same way he would have with the aau programs he stuck with as a kid instead of bouncing around like like most of the stars do so he doesn't have i guess maybe the coaching resume or, or or experience that again some of the veterans would have so he's probably dealt with gentry who is a wonderful person uh y'all seen him mic'd up at the practices in Orlando, the team has put some of those videos out. Players love him. He's jovial. He's joking around with them. I can see Zion saying that, even if it's a total made-up, not totally made-up quote, but even if we're taking out a reference here. However, Gentry's old enough, and we just I, I just explained this roster is right in the middle of being great and being young and being having just enough veterans to compete, but just enough of a young core that at Gentry's age – and Zion's decade plus, hopefully two decades worth of playing time, there's no way Gentry coaches for 20 years. I don't know if we can even fathom Gentry coaching another 10 years. So really, is it can Gentry coach Zion through his second contract? That, yeah, that to me, is the question. Yeah, that's tough. And it, we're only looking at next season. Like, do you want Gentry back next season? And that's really hard because – I've never really called for Alvin Gentry's job. I've only brought up the stats when I when I bring up Gentry because it's hard to just call for someone's job, uh, especially when they do a better job than me. I only coach like a 9- and 10-year-old team at like one point in my life. Uh, but Gentry is – I think he, he's a good coach, but is he the right coach for this team? I know that, that his system is young and caters to the young squad, but 
it's really hard to picture like when the front office got uh, rehauled and the roster got overhauled. You would have loved to probably see a coaching change at that point. Now, when you look at next season, do I want a new head coach? Probably not. Like, I probably want Gentry back because we. This is such a weird season and a weird season for Zion, especially and for and for pretty much everybody. That you know what? I'll just say that I do want to see Gentry back and see what this team can do with them. Yeah. Now that they hit their stride, I definitely want to see Gentry back. I was on the fence and leaning towards the other side during that losing streak. But the whole time, I had to go back to David Griffith's seat and ask, if I'm there, who do I replace him with? Who was a better option then? Who's a better option now? And please, please, please don't come onto Twitter and start talking to me about Mark Jackson. <laughs> no, no, because you can't hire Mark Jackson, Chris. And here's why you can't hire Mark Jackson. Because Mark Jackson called Zion out of shape in the first five minutes of his debut. And that eliminated him from any head coaching job. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a lot of coaches are about to learn if you take a media job and want to talk too much, you're going to stay in media unless you really nail social media right. I, I, it's been a trend since day one of Protect the Nest. I'm maybe not the best person to run social media accounts. Sometimes I don't come off right. Hell, there's three or four Pelicans writers that have me blocked. And, you know, they probably deserve, I probably deserved it for at least a week or two. But... When you come on and say something like that, you got to know that the players are going to hear it. But on the reverse side, you got Van Gundy out there just destroying social media in all the best ways. And yeah. I think he might actually so he might tweet himself back into a job by becoming more lovable to the players, maybe not necessarily the guys that would hire him. I was just about to say, Stan Van Gundy is tweeting himself into a head coaching job. Like I don't know which team, I don't know who it is. But he's definitely uh, tweeting himself into a head coaching job. Sam Van Gundy. I was about to mention that name. Yeah, I, he could run the social media accounts. They could let him do all the tweets. I don't know if he knows how to make gifts and memes and the shooting star thing. Give him time. He's going to learn. He's learning social media so well right now with his learning curve that it's it's been a fun, fun thing to follow. And maybe eventually I could up my game to the social media stylings of Stan Van Gundy. I think we're all trying to do that, yeah. Yep, but uh, last question before we go. We've talked about how he looked at Orlando, how some coaches look in the media and social media. I've been teasing it to Chris Connor and the rest of Pelicans Twitter. What do you want to see out of the next jersey, especially since Zatarans, uh I've got I've seen one quote where they say they might have to go back to Zatarans and maybe renegotiate, but from what I'm hearing from the team, that, that ship's kind of sailed. Uh, the price tag's just going to be well beyond what McCormick, Inc. and Zatarans can handle. But the sponsor is just a small part. What do you want to see from the new jersey that's coming up in in, in whole, in total? Like I mean, have you, have you had like a problem? A yeah, or? have you had a problem with the jersey, uh, the, the visual program that we've had? Do you want to see something new from the jerseys, or do you hope they stick to the more traditional what they've already had? Uh, they, no, I'm not more of a traditionalist. Like, I'm always good for an upgrade, like, like a modern upgrade. You saw – but – Maybe like a throwing a bit, a bit of vintage. Too. I don't know what it is, but the Atlanta Hawks jerseys look really good. Like I love the new Atlanta Hawks jerseys. Um, I don't know what you can refer back to with the New Orleans Pelicans because I think that people love the red statement jerseys from the Pelicans and like the the white Mardi Gras uh, uniforms. 
we could probably retire the navy blue ones that they wore last night. I'm good on those. Uh, they could keep those. Um, I, I don't. I don't exactly know. Like what we could do for New Orleans Pelican. Like I'm not picturing one right now. But anything creative and new, um, I'm totally down for. Like let's experiment. Like let's just get weird. Yeah, it's a colorful city. It's an artful city. They need to do something with the jerseys. I think people have gotten a little tired of the same basic Mardi Gras theme. They want them to venture out on that. However, I, I, I got to stay New Orleans with it. When I look at those new Atlanta jerseys, yeah, they look kind of okay. And that's the best I can give them. Because when I see that number they put with the shading and the back shading on it, I see old school Lakers, like Showtime's Lakers that had the, the, the purple backdrop on their numbers. And then I see some of the early 90s San Francisco 49ers uniforms. And okay. that eight looked exactly like that. Atlanta, I think they... They had good intentions with that jersey, but every time I look at that jersey, it reminds me of a winner in a different city. And to me, that's just that's how you 28-3 a uniform. No, I think they should stay away from black and gold. 100%, whatever you do, stay away from black and gold because you're still trying to separate yourself in the city from the New Orleans Saints. So whatever the Pelicans do with the New Jersey, it's stay away from black and gold. Yeah, I've seen, I think it was Fletcher Mackle tweeted some stuff out, and he loved the black and gold. And I just, I, I had to go against the grain on Twitter on that one too. I just, I don't see it. I don't think the Pelicans are able to do it because everything, I mean, I've written stories about the Pelicans and even the Saints and sent it over as a draft just to try and get a quote, try and suck a quote out of them. And... One of the first things that comes back is we don't like the little brother dynamic for the Saints and the Pelicans. And that's one thing that, you know, as a once you're on the beat for a while, you learn to avoid. But at first I thought that maybe trying to make those connections, one, it would help Google, you know, somebody typed in Saints or Pelicans. And that's that's the media chasing clicks. But also that the Saints are so big here locally that if the Pelicans are doing something and the Saints are helping, it seems like the Saints would take higher top billing. But the, the further you get away from the Superdome, the bigger the Pelicans are, are are their own entity. If you go to Europe, you know, Zion is Zion. Europe doesn't really care about American football. So really, the further you get away from the Superdome, the more the Pelicans are their own standalone entity. And and I think that's going to start creeping back towards the Superdome and the Smoothie King Center. And you'll see that even in Lafayette, where you're at, that there'll be Pelicans fans that don't really care about the Saints. I, I think that's that day's coming. Because, look, I prefer the Pelicans over the Saints. Like, I've always been a basketball, football guy. So, naturally, I draw the crowds that are more basketball, football. So, whenever Zion was drafted, when even when Anthony Davis was here, it was all basketball all the time. Like, we were so hyped about whatever Pelicans games that would come on. And I really think that you need to separate yourself from the New Orleans Saints. Like you said, they don't like the Little Brother uh, title. They don't like being attached to the New Orleans Saints. I mean, they love being in the same city, but, I mean, come on. You're not going to throw a black and gold jersey on them and just be like, yeah, we're New Orleans. It's like, no. I mean, there's other parts of New Orleans than, like, the Saints and black and gold. And the Pelicans with a new fresh star and stars, and if you include Brandon Ingram, which you should, uh, you have a real opportunity to create your own brand and draw more people into the team. Yeah, and I think the team's starting to, again, they've realized it. I think they're starting to make more efforts to to let the community know how those efforts, uh, how that's going to be, I guess, enacted, how they're going to roll that plan out. Some of it was just with the Zataran sponsorship. 
Same with the uh, Super, Superdome story and them changing naming rights. The team's going to be looking for more community engagement from those sponsors. And I think that speaks to how the team, both teams, are trying to really re-engage the community after COVID, like the Saints did after Katrina. They're really trying to grow both sports properties into something that the community feels like it's theirs and it's not just a team they root for. This is really the Saints. So, I mean, or the Pelicans. And it's part of their life. It's their fabric instead of just being some vanity project that Gail Benson decided to purchase so she could get a building next to the Superdome. It, it goes well beyond that. And and I think it's starting to be able it, – it's something you can see. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the word here. But it's just something you can see. Uh, exactly, exactly. Well, hey, what, what would you do then with the jerseys? I haven't heard this. So what would you do with the jerseys? I would change up a little bit from what I've seen. I would like to see a some subliminated fleur-de-lis on a white backdrop with the city flag and the perfect gold trim. And the Pelicans, I want to see the Pelicans in script. I still haven't seen one of the mock-ups. They had the old script, but maybe Nike can't do it because Adidas used uh, the Pelican script, what, three Christmases ago? Do you remember those? The the all It was a different colored blue with the white cursive Pelican. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I love that look. I thought they could have done more with that look to maybe flip the colors of white on blue or blue on white and then have the, the city flag. And maybe even using that same design, a city flag and a state flag edition. Just so they could do something different and something something that would embrace the whole state instead of Mardi Gras. Because I mean, you get up to North Louisiana. I'm sorry to say it, I I didn't fit in there. I was born in Homa. Went up there. And there's people with they're Dallas Cowboys fans. They don't like New Orleans. They don't like coming down south too much. They'll cheer for LSU, but they don't really want to deal with South Louisiana. And I think the more we can bring those fans in because basketball is getting huge in North Louisiana. Natchitoches Central is my uh, alma mater, and we've won, you know, the state a few years. We've got real players up there. They're going to college, going pro, and we want them to be able to represent their state, and that includes the Pelicans, not the Mavericks or the Cowboys. And I think the more the team reaches out and tries to do branding with the state jersey and not just the city branding, they could bring in more people. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be thinking about this for the rest of the week. Like, I'm just going to be thinking of Pelicans mock-up jerseys now just to get the best product because that, that's all I'm going to do now that you've introduced that idea to me. Thank you, Chris. Hey, I'm, if somebody sends me a mock-up that's closer than 90 95% on what I've seen from uh, not just the, the, the one team source that's mentioned the jerseys to me besides for me going and asking questions, also with the Nike suppliers – uh, trying to go through them and find what I can and how they're releasing the jerseys. If you look at it, all the jersey releases right now is teams that's not in the bubble. Uh, the Pelicans are still looking for a sponsor. I believe they've got a target date for that. That will be before the bubble, you know, before the NBA Finals, whether the Pelicans are there or not. But as teams get knocked out of the bubble, I think you're going to start seeing some of them jerseys leak out. Like as soon as Washington loses their fourth game, I think you'll see the new Wizards jersey. And that's just one of those hunches, calls. I don't know. I've been sitting on it. But if somebody showed me a jersey that was really close, that'll be the first jersey I like on Twitter and people can run with it. Yes. Until I'll, then, I'll run with it too. I'll run with it. I'll, and I'll give you credit. I'll be like, you know, Chris has been on this. Chris has been on the jersey chase and the jersey journey 
for a while now. So you get all the credit on this podcast, oh, New Jersey. I've been teasing Chris Connor hard, but everything I've seen on Twitter and Reddit <laughs> has been just a little too off. And I can't tell them what what design things might fit. I don't want to give too many hits and you know, give 10% here, give 10% there, give 10% there. It's not up to me to release the jersey. It's on the team. I don't know if what I saw is going to be the final version anyway, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I don't think there will be too much deviation from what I've seen because it takes a year to 18 months to mock these jerseys up and get them printed. And the last thing that's going to go on it is the, the jersey uh, sponsorship patch. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. I think uh, people can hold their breath for another maybe 50 days you'll be able to spend $150 on a new Pelicans jersey. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll buy it. Whatever comes out. I don't care if people are against wearing sports jerseys with another person's name on them. I'm here for it. I have jerseys. I have jersey shirts. I'll buy whatever comes out. So I'm ready for whatever jersey. And here's another hope. I don't know if it's going to make it into production. I know that it's. there was a few internal notes about it over at Nike on issuing jerseys that already had – say, Black Lives Matter and equality messages on the back. Limited edition, you know, something like that. All the proceeds would go to a charity. But to me, I don't know if you want that to be a bad look and and make it look like you're trying to profit off the movement, especially with everything Nike's done to support Kaepernick. I I know they thought about that. I'm not sure that that will ever make it to the light of day and the retail stores. But with the customization options, everybody should be able to go and do that. So it wouldn't be the name of... Say another player, I mean, I'm at the age now, all the players are younger than me, but it would be nice for, instead of me going doing a customized jersey that says equality on the back and all the proceeds going to the team store and NBA and Nike, if they could have an option where you click all proceeds go to certain charities. And I think the New Orleans team store could do that to keep, again, keep the money in the state, protect, not to go back to the theme of this podcast and how I've been trying to network and helping Anthony Rhodes, Marlon Favre, just everybody, Coach Rory, protect the nest and keep it, keep it local. Make sure our money stays here locally. It's our voice. The Pelicans are doing that. They want to control the narrative on everything that comes out for them. The city as a whole needs to do that. I mean, promote yourself as positively as you can and see what comes back to you. And and that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I hear you, you might have a puppy situation in the background. Yes, they decided to enter the last part of the podcast. You're good. Uh, usually, usually we don't go this long, but it's been such a fun podcast. I appreciate you coming on. If you want to tell right. the people where they can find you, I'm sure you'll come on again because we've got a few more games to watch. Oh, we got a lot more games to watch. Uh, if you want to find me, at Louis Prejean, L-O-U-I-S-P-R-E-J-E-A-N. That's at Louis Prejean on Twitter. You can find me there. Thanks, Chris. Hey, nothing to it. Protecting S fans, I hope y'all enjoyed this. We got another game tomorrow against the uh, Denver Nuggets. Mr. Lewis Prejean, again, thanks for coming on and have a good day. Enjoy those puppies. <laughs>